Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keene, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. Are we live now? <laughs> we are live. All right, we're back. Parker's MMA Show. Back to normal-ish. Me and Billy been on, what, a three-week hiatus now? Well, somebody decided they were going to Ireland in the middle of the global pandemic. Never, never, I never claimed to be the smartest one in the group here, but we're back and we have a lot to talk about. We've been, it's been crazy, crazy times with this coronavirus going around and all the uncertainty of the scheduled fights that are supposed to be happening. Let's just jump right into it, Billy. What do you think? Man, you know, I got all the time in the world right now during the global pandemic that is forcing me to be in my house at all times. So uh, nothing better to do than talk about, you know, fights that may or may not happen. <laughs> well, let's get into it. So um, this episode, we're episode 29 now, Billy. We're rocking and rolling. I can't believe it, man. I can't believe you lasted with me this long. Time flies when you're having a good time and drinking lots of hot toddies. <laughs> all right. Um UFC 249. We're going to dive right in. We're going to talk about the latest. Billy, give me the update. What the hell is going on with UFC 249? All right. So I think the place to start here and, and really the place to start in most MMA stories is with what's going on with the champion. So let's start with, with Khabib's travel timeline, right? So it comes out, obviously, you know, amid the pandemic that uh, UFC 249 is not going to happen in Brooklyn, New York on April 18th. Dana White says, fine, uh, I'm going to find somewhere else and make sure that this fight happens because the mm -hmm. fans want it. So according to Khabib and his team, they're told that the fight is 100% not happening in the United States and 99% chance that it happens in the United Arab Emirates, most likely in Abu Dhabi, right? So... As it's coming out that there's going to be a travel ban in the United States and people are not going to be allowed out of the country, things like that, Khabib and his team fly from San Jose uh, in California, where AK and his training camp is located, to Abu Dhabi. When they land in Abu Dhabi, they learn that the UAE is actually closing the border in a matter of days. And being that Khabib is the first fighter to arrive in the UAE, he realizes they're not going to be able to get other fighters here, namely Tony Ferguson. And so he goes to, he says, I'm going home to Russia to be with my wife and family. While he's in Russia, you know, this is all happening over a couple of days. Russia decides that they're going to close the border apart from the private flights, which effectively strands Khabib in Russia. Which the private flights weren't announced until today, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so the evolving situation as all things are. Um, and, and so apparently he can fly private out of Russia, but not, uh, not commercial. And the border to Russia is, is closed. Now, can you... Okay, so you can't fly private into Russia? No, no one can enter Russia. So if he leaves Russia to go fight in Florida, he can't come back. That is what it looks like. 
Well, we got us a predicament now, don't we? So, okay. So, Khabib is stuck in Russia. And the UFC seems like they're just going to move on with or without Khabib. So, what are your initial thoughts on that? I, I mean, even like global pandemic aside, which I can get into all the issues I have with running an event during the current climate. But I don't want to see Tony Ferguson fight anyone other than Khabib. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no one. There's not a single person on the roster. And to me, like, this fight, this Ferguson versus Khabib fight, this is for the greatest of all time at 155. This is whoever wins this fight is the greatest lightweight of all time. And you can't jeopardize that. And you can't replicate that with any replacement of opponent so I, I don't even know why we're entertaining this just put it on ice like let's let it let it rest for a couple of months let it calm down and come back and revisit this once we can easily get tony and khabib to, to fight i don't know and what do you think that's kind of where i'm at right now i i i think you don't mess with this fight and I, as much as i am a psychopath and me and Dana White probably think a lot more similar than you and Dana White but I agree I this is a fifth time booking this fight I I just think if at all possible we cannot fuck this fight up I mean there's a chance if they book Tony versus Justin that Justin goes in there and KOs Tony in the first round and then we're never seeing Tony versus Khabib ever after all this what six years of build-up for this fight and they're going to roll the dice by throwing him in there with Justin Gaethje, who, in my opinion, I think could probably beat both of those guys, Khabib or Tony, at you know how good he's looked as of late. So I'm on board-ish with if Dana White wants to make this fight happen, if he wants to make UFC 249 happen, go ahead, make it happen. If it's legal, if you're following the protocol, if you're being safe, if you're doing everything you can to watch out for the fighters and the fighters' health. but don't jeopardize this fight. Don't push this fight when you don't have to. Let's let's save this for International Fight Week and just make a gigantic card with those two at the top of the card. That that's kind of where I'm at today. I've I've been back and forth on this over the last week or so, but the more and more that I see this fight going on without Tony fighting Khabib, I'm just I'm not in. I, I'm not in. I, I think they should pass and just save it table it well and here's the other thing parker you know let's say they offer tony justin gaethje right just for the sake of argument why in the world if i'm tony ferguson would i accept that fight because tony's crazy because maybe he needs a payday maybe he wants a big fight maybe he wants to fight he just paid for a whole training camp i don't know there's there's no the wild card in this whole situation is Tony Ferguson to me because he's just one of those guys who the fuck knows what Tony is thinking in his head. So, so I guess there's three, there's three potential reasons why he'd, he'd accept it. And you highlighted the first one, right? Mm -hmm. He's, he's crazy. I mean, Tony, everybody thinks this guy's crazy. He's just a maniac. Maybe he wants to just fight. Maybe that's just like, he's like, I, I just want to get a cage fight. So I, I'll I'll admit I do think that's possible. Uh, the second one I I think is pretty obvious is is the money situation, right? Where 
he kind of sees this as an opportunity where he can squeeze squeeze the company for a payday. Um, well, and, and it's all and, it becomes a it becomes the Tony Ferguson show. I mean, all right. eyes are on Tony Ferguson. Justin Gaethje, to me, it's a little bit of a gamble, but I mean, what has he got to lose? He he's the, not, I I don't know. It, it's a very weird situation. That's kind of the third reason I think he would accept it, right? Is this idea of legacy? It's like yeah, Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson wants to be the anytime, anywhere kind of guy. You know, he wants to be a company man. He wants to be viewed as the guy who saved UFC 249. Was willing to fight during the pandemic. Um, you know that 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 does add to kind of the crazy legacy of Tony Ferguson in a way, but. Um, I just I don't think it's realistic that he takes a Gaethje fight. I don't think he wants anyone other than Habib at this point. I don't know. I just heard him on an interview with Ariel, basically saying that he's over the Khabib fight. He thinks Khabib is dodging him, and he's ready to move on. And he feels like Khabib should be stripped over all of this, and he should be the champion. Which, but he was also tweeting earlier that the only two guys he wants to fight are McGregor and Habib. So. If that's the case, like he's got to make up his mind here. But I don't think I think he wants the Habib fight. Like in all honesty, I think that's the one he wants. I think the UFC is going to put the pressure on him, and I think Tony's a wild card. I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, we're twenty-two days out, and I have no idea. They have to make an announcement soon, don't they? We're seventeen days out. I hate seventeen. Oh my god. Oh, my God. If Tony Ferguson goes to Kevin Lee, Anthony Pettis, Cowboy, then Justin Gaethje, then beats Khabib, how do you deny him as being one of the best fighters of all time? He doesn't have to fight Justin Gaethje <laughs> to get to that point. If he if he fights and beats Khabib at any point during his career, even if it's in July, even if it's in December, at any point, if he can beat Khabib, he has the resume of the greatest lightweight of all time, and one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, they have to make an announcement soon. I mean, they can't keep everyone lingering. Something's got to come down the pipeline soon because they've got to organize flights for all these people. I assume they're, they're going to do it in America now. Is that kind of what we're looking at? Where? Florida. Native American land. Where do they put on bare-knuckle boxing in Florida? Somewhere with no rules where they can do whatever the fuck they want. I, Dana White is making this fight happen. I, I, don't, I have no doubt that UFC 249 is going to happen. The only doubt that I have is Tony Ferguson or Khabib will be involved. I, I will bet a lot of money that there's a fight on April 18th. I I just don't see it. So here's my thing, Parker, right? There's two, there's two main, I would say, like two main buckets of information that I think really lend itself to like this not happening in the United States. So number one, the federal government has recommended that we not have 10 or more people in a gathering, right? That's That's the number they put on it. Let me list out. If you have no crowd and minimal personnel, right, here's who has to be in, in
in an arena at a given time to put on an MMA fight that's televised. You have three no people. Got a televised. Two fighters. No, 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 no. Two fighters. A referee. Judges. The judges can go do it in another room. Oh, corner man. Cut. I don't. You you go over and then I'll give you my comments. Okay. You have to have two fighters and a referee, right? Correct. We that's agree three. On that? That's three. The laws, the laws of MMA, of sanctioned MMA, require that the judges be caged up. Require. Not, not negotiable. Not like, hey, they can go sit in another room if you want. Like, in order for it to be considered a sanctioned MMA fight, which in the United States has to be done by an athletic commission, they have to be caged up. That's the rule. So that's three. You have three cornermen apiece for a regular fight. Are you going to say that they could do it with no coaching, too? Is that going to be another thing that we're going to make an exception to? Okay, we'll could, say they both get a coach. Them. One coach apiece. Okay, so you're giving them one coach apiece, right? So, so, so you're where up are we to at? Five now. You're up to five okay. people, and you have okay. no judges, right? Okay. You have to have a cage-side physician. You have okay. to have one. It's not okay. negotiable. Okay. You're up to six, right? Okay. Okay. You have to have someone filming it. A TV crew is usually a minimum of three. If you have one camera, you have someone filming it, you have someone working the audio, and you have someone who's watching to make sure that the feed is good so that you can cut it at a moment's notice if you need. I feel like they can do that remote. They can do that in a van outside the building or in another room. Typically, you have like four guys operating cameras cage side at a UFC event. They'll figure it out. So I'm not worried about, about the camera. If you're okay. if you're going to broadcast it, okay. And you have a commentary team, and typically you have someone from the promotion cage. So unless Dana's going to put this event on and he's not going to be there, and Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard, neither of them are going to be there. And we're just going to like kind of let this go on with no UFC personnel monitoring the how, event at all. How did Chael set up his submission underground over the weekend? It was it was very screwy. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but the way I understand it, he had the two fighters. He had himself doing commentary in another room. And then I don't know about the judges. Do they have judging in that? No, because grappling is not governed by the same rules that MMA is. So it's completely He also different. doesn't have to have a cage-side physician for that either. He just has to have two fighters, someone from the commission, and then someone to film it. It's a totally I, I don't different know. prospect than an MMA fight. Billy, I think we're having fights on the 18th. I don't care about the schematics. Dana White's going to make it happen. Put put the logistics aside for a second. Mm -hmm. That's my first point. Mm -hmm. But put the logistics aside. Let's say they could pull it off logistically. They could do something like Submission Underground did, right? Mm -hmm. How did they do the Brazil card? Was that not as tight? Because I know they reduced it all, but I don't know. It was was earlier, so the regulations weren't in place. And the um, Brazilian government is different than the U.S. government. I feel, like, I feel like da- I feel like I feel like Dana can make a phone call to Donald Trump and set up something similar to what they did in UFC Brasilia. Not in the U.S. 
not in the U.S. They could do it overseas, which is why I think if this happens, it's most likely to happen overseas. But why is there the so much talk problem. about Florida then? What What is different in Florida? Is it, there's something different in the Native American grounds or what? Florida's governor has not enacted strict distancing guidelines like other states. So that's why everyone thinks it could be potentially in Florida. Hmm. But regardless, here's my biggest thing. If you're in an MMA fight, most of the time, at least one fighter is going to the hospital in that fight. At mm -hmm. least one, if not both guys in the fight, right? So you're going to need hospital rooms, hospital beds, doctors, nurses, and medical equipment for those doctors and nurses in order to treat the now injured MMA fighters. Is it a good idea during a <clears throat> pandemic where the chief concern is lack of medical equipment, lack of beds, lack of medical professionals to put on a voluntary entertainment-based event and use our medical personnel to treat these fighters after the event when there are literally people dying in these hospitals of the coronavirus? In Florida or more so in New York? In, in multiple states. Florida's going to have a terrible outbreak, too. They're just behind New York on the curve, but it's going to come. By the time April 18th hits, that, that's what the president and all these uh, epidemiologists are saying is going to be the, the peak of this, uh, of this outbreak. And we're going to take doctors away because we are desperate to have a UFC event. I'm and, desperate. Are going to approve it? Like, I think that's I don't crazy. know, Billy. Just mark my words. Dana White is putting on fights on the 18th. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know the logistics. But April 18th, $69.99, we'll be able to buy a pay-per-view. And there will be fights. And the world will be a little bit more normal than it is now. So, now that we're out of Parker's fantasy land, here's three legitimate destinations internationally where they could host uh this ufc fight right you know and this is of course assuming that they can get the fighters to and from these locations so this is all South travel by ufc private jet is what we're looking at pretty much has to be has yeah. to be it's the only way south korea is apparently going to start very soon putting on public events with no crowds and they seem to have the best handle on the virus of anyone in the world. So that's one. China is two because they're insistent that they have completely contained the virus. I don't trust they, that. Well, that they're saying, and they're opening back up public spaces. So it, it's possible. And then the third place is kind of a wild card, but Belarus is the only country who's still doing pro sports these days <laughs> we're going they eastern block crowds hardcore their, eastern block their president believes that you can cure coronavirus with vodka and sauna why are we not so, fighting there so Come i on. think Dana white could make a you know you're talking about donald trump he should call the president of belarus and ask if he wants to host ufc 249 because that's probably the most legitimate place that they could have it and that's practically next door neighbors to eon kuntalaba let's go Let's go. Load up Apparently the private jet. Just, 
Load up the private jet with Florida fighters and throw Ion on there and let's go. Let's get, let's, let's make it happen. Billy, I am, I am being very, very optimistic, but I think there's going to be a fight on the 18th. So you've laid out the overseas. We've talked a little bit about in the U.S., in the U.S. Can you explain to me the apex? I've had everyone throw out the apex. Oh, it's, they're going to have fight at, at the apex for the next months, couple months. They're going to bring fighters in. No more travel. Everyone's going to fight out of the UFC apex. But is that not possible? And does that technically not qualify as a pro fight if you're fighting in the apex or can they have the commission there so they can absolutely have pro fights in the apex they can have the commission there here's here's the problem with the apex right so the nevada state athletic commission governs mma in the state of nevada in las vegas right where the apex is located right so every pro fight that you're going to have every sanctioned fight that you're going to have has to be cleared by the athletic commission. Under normal circumstances, it would be no problem. Um, right before, like, immediately following the NBA shutting down, uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission had an emergency meeting saying that they were going to approve no new events for the next, I think, two to three weeks. Which I think was the 20, to- was it the 25th of March or something like that? Or was it last month uh, on the 25th? I, I think earlier, even earlier than that. I want to say okay. it was like the 15th of March that they had this speech. I heard John Morgan talking about that today, and I think he said maybe it was, yeah, maybe like the first or second week of March. Okay. All right. So, Billy, I was asking you about the um, Apex. What? I've heard multiple people, John Anik, um, Dom Cruz, talk about the Apex as maybe this is a potential staging ground for the next four or five months while all this blows over because it's so small and it's something they can control. Um, John Anik actually said he heard rumblings about having fights, like multiple fights a weekend, like Friday night fights, Saturday night fights, you know, where you have 12 fights per card or whatever. Is that something that you see as possible and doing that through the apex at the current moment, or do we have to wait for things to develop a little more? Yeah, so what's going on with the Apex right now and why it's not viable for right this second is um, the the UFC is governed, and the Apex is still governed by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Mm-hmm. And essentially what the Athletic Commission said was right when the NBA canceled, the Athletic Commission said that they uh, were going to hold off on sanctioning any new events for the time being. And then they were going to revisit it in two weeks. Obviously, during those two weeks, the world kind of went crazy. Everything shut down due to coronavirus. And um, we're now, you know, in a period of time where nobody's sanctioning anything. And that that meeting they were supposed to have to decide when are we going to come back and start sanctioning things again is postponed indefinitely. So until the Nevada State Athletic Commission has that meeting, and effectively says, okay, we feel comfortable uh, sanctioning combat sports events again in the state of Nevada. Mm-hmm. There's no sanctioned professional combat sport that can happen in the state of Nevada until that happens. Hmm. Okay. Um, so another big narrative that's going around um, this week is the notion that this fight must just be cursed. This fight's never going to happen. 
I was going to see where you're at on that. And then also, if you could just outline the timeline, you know, everything that's gone down with this fight from when it was originally scheduled to happen till coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's hard to argue that it's not cursed at this point, right? Like, it's hard to, you know, you look at kind of the bizarre set of circumstances that keep happening around this fight that everybody wants to see, and it's really hard to argue it's not cursed. So I'll walk you through kind of the timeline. Okay. The first time this was booked was for December of 2015. So wow. almost five years ago, the final of uh, Tough 22, right? So Khabib pulls out with a rib injury. You know, it happens. You know, kind of a normal fight, but that's what happens. The second time they booked it was for the following April. So they book it four months later. Tony pulls out with a lung injury, right? The third time that they book it is for March 2017, and it's for the interim title because in between the second booking and the third booking, three important things happen. RDA lost the lightweight belt to Eddie Alvarez in July of 2016. Tony beat RDA in November of 2016 to firmly establish himself as number one contender. Mm-hmm. And then McGregor beat Alvarez a week after Tony beat RDA for to become champ champ at UFC 205, right? Mm-hmm. So then McGregor says, I'm not fighting in MMA. I'm going to try and fight Floyd Mayweather. The UFC books a March 2017 interim lightweight title. Khabib pulls out because he has weight management issues and has to go to the uh, hospital during his weight cut. This is the infamous uh, tiramisu moment on the UFC embedded. Right. So Tony doesn't fight in March. He doesn't fight until October of 2017. He fights Kevin Lee for the interim lightweight title and wins. And then they book uh, Khabib against Tony in April 2018 for the interim lightweight title again. That's the most bizarre first week in UFC history. Uh, Tony trips over a microphone wire and tears his LCL on April Fool's Day. Uh, Max Holloway steps in to fight Khabib. Max gets stopped during his weight cut. Meanwhile, the McGregor bus incident happens. They're going to do Paul Felder against Khabib for the title, but because Felder is not ranked at the time, the New York State Athletic Commission will not approve the fight. And so he ends up fighting Ally Quinta for the lightweight title at the main event of uh, the UFC. I believe it's 219. Um, Khabib doesn't fight again until he defends the title against McGregor in October of 2018. Then he defends it against Poirier again in September of 2019. And now we're here. Or it's supposed to be his now third title defense, Khabib. Um, and we get a global pandemic that is not allowing us to have live. Oh, it is hard to say that this isn't cursed, huh? It's almost impossible to argue. Oh, man. 
I still think we're seeing this fight in 2020. I just don't think it's going to be on April 18th. That's kind of where I'm at on this. Um, So let's talk about Dana a little bit. Dana has been dug in on... He's having this fight on April 18th. No matter where it's at, what country, what part of the world, who's on it, he's having this fight. So why do you think Dana just refuses to just say, hey... Let's follow suit of the NFL, the NBA, NHL. Let's put everything on hold. Let's let this clear. He's not doing that. He's going the polar opposite direction. So why do you think he's so set on not taking an L on this and make just pushing through and making this fight? I think it's because this is kind of who Dana's always been his whole career, and that's why yeah. the UFC is where it is today. I think yeah. you know he's the guy who pushed for regulation who pushed for you know the legal entities to get involved he's the one who you know uh you know brought usada into the sport he's always kind of done things that people said oh you'll never clean up mma oh you'll never get cage fighting in every state you'll you know you'll never be able to do this stuff and dana's always been the guy who proves people wrong it's kind of his mo it's why he's successful so in dana's mind this is yet another example of Everybody's telling me I can't do this. Everybody's telling me it's not possible. Everybody's telling me that, you know, I'm not able to do this. And really what I'm seeing is I have a lot of fighters who want to fight. I have a country that's desperate for sports, that's desperate for entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I have a fight that people want to see. And and so he's kind of just trucking through it the same way he has with regulations, the same way he has with anti-doping. Um you know, this has kind of been the way he's operated his whole career. I think mm-hmm. the difference here is this is an unprecedented place for Dana. Like he's not at all prepared for um, to deal with the the level of regulation that's that's come as a result of the coronavirus. Unfortunately, I think he sees it as just this is a huge business opportunity. The whole entire planet is shut down. The sporting planet is shut down. And if he's able to push through and have this on some bizarre Indian land and who knows where, I mean, he's going to be the talk of the town. The UFC is going to be the talk of the town. MMA is going to be the talk of the town. All eyes are going to be on his sport. And I think that's what he's seeing right now. And I think that's why he's pushing so hard. He doesn't care if Khabib's on the card. He just wants to put on a fight on April 18th to give everyone a little relief. And I think it'll do gigantic business, which is kind of rolls us into our next question. Obviously, the U.S. and most of the world is abiding by the social distancing. You're supposed to, you know, just basically stay in your house, not have friends over. Obviously, no bars, no restaurants, no casinos in Vegas are open. So if Dana's able to get a fight booked for April 18th, what what do you expect the pay-per-view sales to be? Um, I mean, really with all eyes on MMA and the UFC. I think the thing, the problem with it is um, people are kind of uncertain financially right now. I, I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of people who are going to sit there and wonder like, you know, if your hours are getting cut, if you don't know what your, what your next day at work is going to be like, if you don't Mm -hmm. know, you know, when we're going to go back to normal, like, I mean, $70 for a fight card is a lot of money when there's, you know, there's entertainment out there to be had. 
And I know it's not live sports. I know it's certainly not the equivalent of Khabib versus Tony, but I, I actually don't think like this would do great numbers on pay-per-view. Now, if you're telling me they're going to put this, you know, on ESPN or even on ESPN Plus. That's then... what I was thinking. I think there's nothing on ESPN right now. ESPN's got nothing to cover. What if Dana just goes to ESPN and says, hey, let's just put this live to the masses. I mean, that would be fucking huge right now if anyone can turn on their TV and watch UFC fights live. But here's my thing. You look at the UFC Brasilia uh, TV ratings, and they weren't great. They were basically the same as a given fight night on ESPN. Like, it wasn't like they got some huge lift from being the only show Yeah, but that was, that was early, and that's a hardcore fan. I mean, 95% of the U.S. population couldn't tell you who Kevin Lee was. They can't tell you who Charles Oliveira is, Damian Maya, Gilbert Burns. That's a hardcore fan card. If they're able to get some gigantic names on this, I mean, Francis, Tyron Woodley, George Masvidal, which we'll talk about that later down the line. But if they can put two or three big names on this and get two or three weeks to broadcast this all over ESPN, I think this could be big. I'm not sold on that idea. I, I think it, it makes sense logically why it would be big, but I, I think ultimately like it, it's not it's not really like that I don't think it's that interesting to people right now, honestly, if it's not Tony versus Khabib or a similarly big fight. Yeah. Um all right, let's move to the replacements. So I mean, everyone's throwing their name in the hat to fight Tony. You had George Masvidal came out, assuming he's going to go down to 155. You've got Conor McGregor and John Kavanaugh kind of throwing out, I don't know, April Fool's jokes, I guess. And then you've got Justin Gaethje. Um, who do you think is the most, if they press forward, Tony decides to fight on the 18th, who do you think the most likely opponent is for Tony? The most likely opponent or mm -hmm. who I think he should push for? I don't think he's going to have much say. If he fights, I think it's going to be whoever signs up. I mean, it's not like Tony can just go start calling people out. I mean, if I'm, I guess if I'm the UFC or if I'm Tony Ferguson mm -hmm. or if I'm Dana White, the fight I want is, is Jorge Masvidal. That's the biggest yeah. thing. That's that's the guy. Justin Gaethje is, I've said this before, Justin Gaethje is my favorite fighter to watch in the UFC. Me he's too. He's the most entertaining yep. fighter, like fight in and fight out. I, I think he's absolutely phenomenal and would love to watch him in, in any circumstance. But at the end of the day, like Jorge Masvidal is a way, way bigger name. Way bigger name. Especially on ESPN. In the ESPN era, he's a superstar. We've talked about this before, but for me, him and Israel Adesanya are your two biggest stars in the ESPN era. So if if I'm them, you know, I think Habib is a you know one of the five most famous MMA fighters in the in the U.S. And Maybe the one of the most famous athletes on the planet right now. But I mean. Jorge Masvidal for the U.S. market is is very big in in the MMA space as well, and so that's the guy I would be pushing for. I I don't think Justin Gaethje against Tony Ferguson moves the needle for anyone other than the hardcores. If I'm being honest, 
Yeah, especially at this right now. If Justin Gaethje gets a fight with Conor McGregor and knocks out Conor McGregor, then I think he's at that next level. But I totally agree with you. I just, how realistic do you even think there's a shot that George Masvidal would entertain coming down to 155 when seemingly he has a 170 title fight waiting for him whenever fighting gets back to normal? I what? What's the point? I mean, to me, it's the same same idea of like, why would Tony Ferguson take the Justin Gaethje fight? Why would he take the Dustin Poirier fight? Like, it makes no sense. He's at he's at the apex. Like, he's at he's at the point that he fought to get to. Right? Like, you know, if you're an MMA fighter, if you're in the UFC, like, you basically either want the biggest money fight or the title. Like, that's that's the whole reason that you fight, and yeah. he's got that. So why in the world would he jeopardize that for anything? Do you think George Masvidal does more money than Masvidal versus Usman? Masvidal versus Tony. Yeah. I don't know. This is going to be fucking weird how they pull this off. So, um, all right. So we left off. We were um, talking about if Dane is able to pull this off, what can we realistically expect? the main card of this fight to look like. Yeah. So I think this really hinges on the Tony versus Gaethje fight. Like I think if Dana can't get Tony Ferguson to agree to fight Justin Gaethje, I, I don't see this happening because I think the next best fight he's going to be able to like legitimately get is Francis against Jarzinho. And you can't headline a pay-per-view with that. You just can't. That's a fight night. What are your, what are your thoughts on, Usman versus Masvidal and Woodley versus Covington. I obviously nothing's booked yet, but there's been a lot of rumbling amongst those four guys the last couple of days saying, you know, basically we'll fight, we'll fight, we'll fight. Do you think there's any legs to that or do you think that's all just kind of talk? I think Colby Covington is going to ask for a lot more money than he's actually worth to fight Tyron right. Woodley. And therefore, Dana won't agree to that, and the contract will end up holding up that fight. I don't think Kamaru Usman can make 170 pounds unless he's like strictly dieting and it's he has significant notice. So I don't see him fighting Masvidal. I also don't see him saying, "Oh, I'll take a short notice fight against Jorge Masvidal," even though I've been offered that fight in July with a full training camp when hopefully the whole coronavirus thing is over, you know, I, I just don't see the upside for him to take that fight. Um, you know, the one, the, the, the guys who I think are, you know, I think Francis against Jarzinho would be a go for this fight. Mm-hmm. I think Gilbert Burns would simply, uh, certainly fight somebody. I think. Is he in America? Gilbert? Yeah. He lives in Florida. Yeah. Okay. Um, our guy Brock Weaver Jeremy, would fight. Yeah, Jeremy Stevens and Calvin Cater were on this card, weren't they? Yeah, they were supposed to be the uh, the curtain jerker, the pay per view. Yeah, and then you're you're not too high on Rose. You don't think she's going to fight during a global pandemic, do you? I mean, my thing with Rose, right? This is the girl who admitted to us that after the McGregor bus incident, like she couldn't even leave her house. She couldn't go to the grocery yeah. store. Like you're telling me that she's like just dying to get out there and fight like in when the entire world is shut down. I'm like, you want to talk about anxiety? Yeah. I have heard Dana say multiple times that Rose has been wearing him out 
basically trying to get something set in stone and says she's fighting no matter what, but that's Dana. So I, I don't... He's a promoter. I, I don't know what to make of that, yeah. Um, all right, um, let's talk a little bit about the fighter pay situation. That's been another big topic. Um, I think originally the UFC wasn't planning on paying the fighters that all traveled to London when that event got canceled. And I saw something today or yesterday maybe that I think they have made good on that. I don't know what that means. Did they get the their full purse? Did they get a portion or a portion of it? Um, what are your thoughts around fighter pay and how, you know, during something like this and, you know, compare and contrast how the UFC is handling it opposed to how Scott Coker and Bellator are handling it. Yeah. So I think this situation, I mean, let's, first of all, let's talk about the difference between MMA and then your traditional team sports, like the NHL, NBA, things like that. Right. In MMA, all the fighters who are with the UFC, with Bellator, with one championship, Ryzen, KSW, whoever it is, they're independent contractors, right? They're not considered right. employees. And so, they only get paid when they fight. You know, it's similar right. to like if anyone out there is an independent contractor, you know, you know that you usually log like a sheet of hours that you work every week and you only get paid for the hours that you work. You don't get paid a salary right. like a typical employee would. And in the NBA, in the NHL, the NFL, baseball, whatever, these guys are on salary, right? So whether or not they play, whether or not the game happens, um, you know, there's obviously some rules, but they get paid regardless. So MMA fighters probably not getting paid during this, at least not to fight. So that's number one. Second part of this is uh, Bellator had an event that was supposed to happen, I believe, March 13th um, at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, and they had to cancel the event. Now, everyone had weighed in. Everyone was ready to fight, and they were supposed to have the event with no fans, and they had to cancel at the last minute, and they reportedly paid every single fighter on that card their show money, right? The UFC... But Bellator, does Bellator do show and win money, or they have a different structure? So some of their guys do have the show and win uh, set up, and then some of their guys, it's just show money. A flat, kind of a flat fee? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. And then the UFC the following weekend had to cancel the UFC London card and apparently hadn't paid the fighters yet and now has kind of like, like you said, made good on it, but a little ambiguous. And here's what the whole situation boils down to, in my opinion. MMA fighters, I mean, this is like a big argument for why they need to unionize, but they should be arguing that they're employees of these organizations. You know, they're not allowed to fight. You know, it's exclusive contracts. They're not allowed to fight for other promotions. They're not allowed to fight in other combat sports without the permission of whatever promotion they're contracted to. And ultimately, like, they're harming themselves in terms of the pay and the benefits that they receive should a disaster like this happen. Uh, obviously, Bellator is kind of leaning in more to help out their fighters than the UFC was initially. Um, well, they also have a smaller payroll. I mean, UFC's got 600-plus fighters that right. they have to account for. That's that's my biggest thing on why I think Dana White's got to find a way to get these fights rolling because these guys just flat out don't get paid. I mean, how? 
like the Brock Weavers of the world. How are they going to afford to live if they're not fighting two to three times a year? If Brock Weaver gets one fight next year, say he makes 25 grand, what do you do? I mean, the, the big names, John Jones, Conor McGregor, Khabib, those guys are good. Cowboy, they're good. But the bottom 50% of the UFC roster is fucked. I mean, they're fucked. They're out of a job for a year. Well, and there's a flip side to that too, right? Endeavor, who owns the UFC, like very public that, you know, they tried to have an IPO to raise money and they kind of had to go back to the drawing board on that. They paid out a huge dividend to investors. And then this whole virus hits, their revenue is going to take a hit. They had to lay off 250 employees last year. And, and that's the reality of, of that business is like, the event business is really hurting right now. And so they got to they gotta make money too. It's not just about the fighters making money, but it's about Endeavor also being kind of able to cash in on their uh, on making the UFC events happen. Hmm. Very strange times right now. Um, all right, we're going to have a little fun here. I'm going to lay out my dream UFC 249 card, assuming Khabib is out, assuming McGregor's, not going to do some, take a private jet over here and stir shit up. And then we're going to use only U.S.-based fighters. So in your main event, I've got Justin Gaethje taking on Khabib. I mean, Tony Ferguson. I think if they can pull that together, like you say, they can save this card, keep it rolling. Usman versus Masvidal. That, to me, is a fucking awesome fight. And I don't think it's completely out of the question to pull that together. Um, the third one, Colby versus Woodley. I agree with you. And I saw headlines today. I think Colby is just demanding too much money. Um, I think he thinks he's Conor McGregor and he's not. So if Colby can get his shit together, maybe they can make that fight in the next 17 days. Uh, Francis versus Rosenstruck. I think that's a given. That's the one we feel most confident about. Uh, Jessica versus Rose. I still think that could happen. And then I'm going to get a little crazy. I want Nate Diaz back. Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier. Come on, Nate Diaz. I know you're not eating meat. You're veggie. Riding your bicycle all over the place. You can make 170 and be ready to go. Let's go. All right. So I have almost the identical card to you. Here's, here's where we differ. Number one, if you book Usman against Jorge Masvidal, that's your main event. There are maybe maybe two to three fights in all of MMA that main event over that. And Justin Gaethje against Tony Ferguson is not one of them. You get that okay. fight. That's your main event. So that's my number one. My number two, I maintain Jessica Andrade is still in Brazil. Rose Namajunas couldn't even leave her house after McGregor threw the dolly through the bus window. <laughs> that fight's not happening in the midst of a pandemic. I, I just don't okay. see it. I can't even entertain it. I thought Jessica's here. Jessica's not here? No, Jessica's in Brazil, I believe. She may have uh, flown here in the okay. past day. Okay, all right. But regardless, I don't think that's happening. And I want to see that where Rose is like able to come back and, and be Rose again. I don't, I don't really want to see it like under panic, right? Well, and I want to see K Khabib and Tony where they can have a full camp and have a fair fight, hundred percent. I want to see these guys hundred percent out of the card that you so desperately wanted. No, I just want to see Tony and Khabib. I don't give a shit about any other fight, honestly. Tony and Khabib, 
That's why I need to see. No, but here's the fight that you missed out on because you were off having your Nate Diaz fantasy. Here's a here's a banger of a fight for you. Dustin Poirier moves up to 170 pounds and he takes on Gilbert Burns. That's a fight. Uh, I don't know. That's, That's a, a hardcore fight. fight. That should have been featured. That <laughs> should have been featured in Billy's hardcore uh, minute there. Yeah, I don't know. A lot, a lot of uncertainty right now with UFC 249. Obviously, we'll jump back next week and give you an update. Hopefully, they'll have something set in stone by then. If not, I wouldn't say it's looking good, but that's where we're at right now, Billy. Yeah, I, I, you know what, Parker? Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding UFC 249, but there's not a lot of uncertainty surrounding our new sponsor. So, All right. Uh, support for Parker's MMA show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I know, Parker, I've been using this guy, the Lawnmower 3, during the quarantine to make sure my man parts are freshly groomed while I'm stuck in my house. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents billions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to manscapes advanced skin safe technology so if you're listening to me speak right now i want you to experience it firsthand for yourself get 20 percent off and free shipping with promo code fight that's fight f-i-g-h-t at manscaped.com so 20% off, promo code FIGHT. They support us, so we support them. Manscaped. Parker, what do you think of our new sponsor? Billy, you absolutely crushed it. Manscaping, cheers. I got the Irish whiskey out. We'll pour a drink. Uh, yeah, thanks Thanks to Manscaping. Uh, love their products. Awesome. Awesome read, Billy. You're the man. So, all right. Let's keep it rolling. Um We've been out for three weeks. We missed a card, UFC Brasilia. We had Kevin Lee taking on Charles Oliveira. Rough, rough week for Kevin Lee, Billy. What, uh, what were your thoughts following that fight? You know, I, I, he's just one of these. I mean, he's like one of the prime examples for why we need a 165-pound weight class, right? Like, he's too big for 155. He's too small for 170. Um, you know, I think if he's going to continue at 155, he's got to go to the UFC PI or, you know, go to some sort of nutritionist and, and trainer and really kind of like reshape his body in order to make that weight because he's missed weight so many times and it's clearly so hard for him to make weight. Um, Did you listen to his interview with Ariel? He's, he said he just didn't have the time to deal with a uh, proper nutritionist. He was like three days out from the fight. He's drinking water and eating like pistachios. That was his weight cutting. And then he, he let Charles Oliveira know on Tuesday that he was going to be heavy and he wasn't even going to try to make weight. Look, I have sympathy for it. I hate weight cutting. I think it's a horrible practice. I can't imagine what it was like, you know, in the midst of like the pandemic and like, you know, everything's shutting down and you're in a foreign country. And I give him all the sympathy for that. But this is not the first time that this has happened. And it's it's very clear that 
this is not his weight class or he needs to make serious changes to his diet or his body or whatever it is in order to make this his weight class. And I, just I, th- I think it's his, I focus. think it's his head. Yeah. Yeah. I think his focus is off. I mean, you look at him, he's with one of the best trainers in the world who had a great game plan for that fight. To me, I think that fight was either one, one or two Oh, Kevin Lee going into the third and he just threw the game plan out the window and rushed in and was just acting reckless and he got caught. And that's the bottom line. And he admitted that. He said, yeah, Faras was telling me all the right things. You know, the first two rounds, the third round, he thought he had Charles hurt and tired and he was going to go for the finish. I, I think with Kevin Lee, it's all mental. And I, I, I will say this over and over again. He's going to be a champion one day when he puts it all together. He's just... He can't put it all together. There's, there's, there's always just little, little mistakes. And I think he's a guy, he's got a potential to be a champion and he can be a great, he's still young. He's 26 years old. You know, I, my thing with Kevin Lee is I think it's really two things, right? I think it's number one. I think he thinks he's really smart and, and he is a smart guy. Don't get me wrong. He's extremely well-spoken. He's thoughtful. He has great ideas. He's analytical, but at the end of the day, like you're not smarter than the coaches. You're not smarter than the nutritionists. Like you kind of need to put your ego aside a little bit and, and kind of let the experts do their work. Um, and then the second part is I, I don't think he's really ever since the passing of, of Robert Wallace, which is really tragic. And I think it's mm-hmm. hurt a lot of guys in the MMA space, especially, you know, at extreme four, but, um, he's never really found that home and it seemed like he had settled on TriStar and he was happy there. But ultimately Kevin Lee lives in Las Vegas and trains in Montreal. And I just think that's a hard bridge to cross. Like unless he's going to move to Montreal and really commit himself to being with Frost's team all the time and living this lifestyle, I, I have a hard time thinking that he's going to all of a sudden, uh, you know, kind of make this leap to be a champion level fighter. I think he's got to make that leap. And it's not the last four or five years he's been bouncing around. He's got to make that leap. He's got to commit. He's got to find a camp that's his home. And to me, I don't think there's a better match in the MMA world than for Asahabi. If you look at Kevin Lee, look at all his skills. Who is he most similar to? George St. Pierre. I mean, come on. He's, he's this, this close. But... He slipped up again and got caught and got finished. And now he's kind of back in this limbo of, do I go back to 170? Do I stay at 155? I think he's just got to trust, find somewhere that he can trust the coach, trust the camp, and just commit fully. And like you said, put his ego to the side and just learn as much as he can and try to become the best fighter he can. Yeah. I, I you know. I th- I like him at TriStar too. I agree. I think there's other places he could be a good fit. Like, you know, I think he would do well at ATT. Um, you know, I I actually think he would do really well. Uh, you know, with the Gracies down in California, where where Brian Ortega is at. Uh, I actually think it, it's it's kind of not thought of as like this classic camp, but I think it would actually be a good thing for Kevin. Um. But I like I also like him at TriStar. And if that's the decision he wants to make, he's got to settle in, in Montreal full time. Yeah. Um, for Charles Oliveira, I mean, the dude just keeps winning. Seven fight win streak with seven finishes. 
to me, I think he's a new dark horse at 155. The guy's dangerous. He's tough. He, he He's kind of like, I don't know, kind of a mix of Tony Ferguson and Brian Ortega. Like he has this just kind of reckless zombie mentality where he's just going to come after you. He's unorthodox. He throws those weird jump front kicks and spinning shit and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then he can finish you from anywhere. I mean, I thought he had maybe it was an early second round, a knee bar is knee bar. And then, um, I mean, he had Kevin Lee tied up a couple times where I thought he was going to submit a him bad heel hook in the first round. That he heel hook in the first round. Yeah. He's dangerous. That guy. And he's so smooth. He's so calm. He seems like the moment never gets to him. He's just cool, calm, collected. That was the first thing I saw when I turned that fight on. When they're squaring off, Kevin Lee's pacing back and forth, beating his chest, trying to get hyped up. And Charles Oliveira is just has Backstreet Boy hair and just staring him down. Just as calm as could be. Um, big win for him. That was awesome. Yeah, he looks like the Brazilian M&M getting out there, uh, you know, piecing dudes up. But... I mean, he's, yeah. you know, he's a shoot the box guy. I mean, these guys, this is the toughest, this is the toughest gym in the game. I mean, you know, the sparring yeah. sessions there are, are legendary. Um, you know, this is, this is where the, the Brazilian, you know, the top Brazilian guys cut their teeth is, is shoot the box. So um not surprised. He's been in the UFC since he was like 19. Um Yeah. You know, I, my one thing, my one criticism of him is, uh, what are you thinking with the call out there? Like, you, do you really think like you're getting the winner of Habib Tony? I mean, I, I just think that's yeah. like such a waste to call that out. Yeah. Like, I love him against, you know, if if Justin Gaethje's not going to get McGregor, I love Gaethje against uh, Charles Oliveira. I love the winner of Poirier Hooker against Charles Oliveira. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just think like, that's a waste of a call out. Like if you say like, I want the winner of Poirier hooker, you're going to get that fight. They're going to fly you out for that fight. Mm-hmm. If you say, I'm going to get, I want Habib against Tony. You're going to get put on the shelf for eight months. Like maybe he'll come fight Tony on the 18th. <laughs> Just really shake shit up. Throw Charles Oliveira in there. Let's get crazy. I would not fight him. Uh, I think that guy is as good as anyone in that division. He can no, he's dangerous. Anyone. His submissions are unbelievable. They come out of nowhere. Yeah, and they're smooth. I mean, oh, man. He looks awesome. For Kevin Lee, this is another, to me, just a big setback. I, I think he's probably going to take some time off and just go back to it and try to get better, get better, decide what he's going to do. Is he going to make that move up to 170? You know, is he going to prepare for that bulk up, get bigger, or is he going to decide he wants to stay at 55? I I don't know what's next for Kevin Lee. What do you think? So if he's going to stay at 55 and he makes the decision, you know, changes his body, whatever. I love the Islam Makachev against Kevin Lee fight. I think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great litmus test for Makachev who hasn't really fought anyone, uh, you know, who's like a top ranked guy. Um, you know, I kind of want to see what Makachev is made of. And at the same time, I think it's a very winnable fight for Kevin Lee. I think Makachev Islam is, is kind of similar game to Kevin and Kevin obviously believes he's better than Islam is in most places. So, I would love to see that fight. And if he's going to move up to 170, 
you know, it's kind of a wild card, but I love Kevin Lee against Gunnar Nelson. What do you think of that fight? That's a fun fight. And I mean, a winnable fight for Kevin Lee. Gunnar Nelson's probably someone that's, you know, at the end of his career on his way out. Um, I like that fight. And then I like your second choice as well. Um, Ponzanibio. Ponzanibio. Yeah. Who's been out for a long time. And Ponzanibio, who is he calling out? He was calling out Tony Ferguson this week. Did you see that? I did see that. Um, what are the are these guys just assuming that if Tony Ferguson doesn't fight Khabib, he's going to fight at one seventy? Because I, I think I there's a lot of never heard anyone say that. On, honestly, I, I think yeah. these guys are just looking to be like, hey, I called out Tony Ferguson. He didn't want the fight. He didn't want the fight. Yeah, you hear it all the time. Yeah. Um. So good fight. I mean, obviously a huge performance for Charles Charles Oliveira. That was a big win for him. Um. Okay, Damian Maya versus Gilbert Burns. Um, to me, Damian Maya looked good in the first round. He was doing Damian Maya shit. I mean, he was getting you tied up, working his grappling. He had him. He had him in a couple dangerous positions, but Gilbert Burns was able. I think he slid slid out the back door and he got up, and he fucking just starched Damian Maya with a. I think it was a big, big left hand, and I thought it was a walk off. KO, the ref didn't stop the fight. Damian Maya kind of came back to his senses, and then Gilbert Burns just got on the ground and Donkey Kong fisted him in the face until they stopped the fight. That was very, very impressive to do that to a veteran. I know Damian Maya's, what, 43 years old right now, but a guy that's been around forever to go in there and just starch him like that, that was a big win for Gilbert Burns. Yeah, I I really love that fight. I love that performance. You know, I love the matchup. I think it was. You know, you're talking about two guys who are like world class jujitsu players. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Burns is a world champion. Um, and Damian Maya is, I believe, a world champion too back in the day before he kind of took off in MMA. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the grappling exchanges were fantastic. Like you said, Burns caught him with a big left hand. You know, Maya's obviously, you know, you don't get to 43 years old with all the MMA fights he has without taking some damage, but. You know, he didn't look bad out there. It wasn't a particularly brutal knockout. Um, you know, Damien seemed to be with it after after the fight was over. Um, so I really like I really like that fight. I, I agree, huge win for Burns, and he seems to be really be coming into his own. You know, he kind of uh, you know was kind of up and down at 155 for a while, but I think now he's he's kind of uh, you know really found his stride at 170. I love the Colby Covington call out. I think it was a perfect call out. I think it makes sense. Um, you know, the second choice that I'm not hearing anybody talk about, but I'd love to watch it is Gilbert Burns versus Wonder Boy, striker versus grappler. Would love to see that. And I, I still think at 170, you have to go through Wonder Boy. Um, I don't think Colby is going to take that fight right now. He's chasing these gigantic fights. Gilbert Burns is still kind of a no name at 170. Um, you know, for the mass, mass majority of people. Um, I love that fight. Wonder Boy doesn't have a fight. That would be an awesome fight. Let's book that. Let's do that. Um, for Damian Maya, I think you and I are in the same boat here. I, I had these two, two names in mind as well. Um, Josh Fabia, Diego Sanchez, some yoga breathing, and some jiu-jitsu. Let's fucking get it going. Yeah, I want to see that very badly. Uh, Diego against Damian Pyle. Bring your guru. Everyone bring your guru and let's go. Um, 
you also mentioned Cowboy. I think that's a fun fight. I think I think that's honestly a fight you could put on UFC 249. Cowboy versus Gilbert Burns. Cowboy Cowboy would do it. Cowboy, Cowboy gives Mandalay Bay hotel employee. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. could do it. You know, he'd take the fight. Yeah. Um, all right. Then Johnny Walker. Uh, man, that was a f- brutal fight to watch. Just never boring again snooze do I want to hear the words, jo- the name John <laughs> Jones and Johnny Walker in the same sentence ever again. I yeah. never want to hear it again. He's not the guy to dethrone him. He's not, you know, young up and comer ready to challenge. Like John Jones had probably defended his titles, what, six or seven times by the time he was yeah. Johnny Walker's age. Like it's yeah. not close. Like this guy is, I mean, this was really kind of exposed him as, as kind of fraudulent in my opinion. Yeah, that was brutal. He just looks like there's so much ground he has to gain to be on elite level. Um, I, I bet that knocks him out of the top 10, probably top 15 at light heavyweight. And that's a big, big mountain to climb again to get back to the top. So, yeah, that was a big letdown. I was expecting something big, and I was actually expecting that fight to be a fun fight, and it was fucking snooze fest. I turned that off. I was watching that fight live and turned it off. It was terrible. Um, okay. Do you want to keep rolling, or do you want to regroup for John Jones tomorrow? We've gone like an hour and a half already. Let's uh let's regroup tomorrow then. All right. Let's take a breather, do some Josh Fabia deep breathing. Tomorrow we'll be back. We will talk all the outlaw shit that all the crazy MMA fighters are doing without fights booked. Um we'll also talk about the return of Patty the Batty. Again, we will jump into a little bit of current events. Mostly John Jones. We're gonna spend probably forty five minutes to an hour talking about John Jones and what's going on with John Jones. But, um, all right. So Parker's MMA show, that was episode 29 tomorrow. We'll come back with 30 and we'll spend a lot of time on the John Jones incident, but everyone, as always like share, subscribe, keep it rolling. We appreciate it. Obviously we've been had a little bit of a hiatus here, but we're back and hopefully going to be back for good. If Dana White can get this damn fight booked, stay home. Stay home, stay safe. Everybody keep healthy, keep your distance. Uh, you know, but no excuse not to listen to Parker's MMA show now. Everyone tune in, make it happen. All right, Billy, we'll regroup. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll make it happen. All right, signing off. Good day. Adios. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.